525,600 minutes. That, according to the opening line of the musical Rent, is one way that you can measure a year. 525,600 minutes. And depending on the subject, there are a myriad of different numbers of years for different subjects that you, other than what you might expect. You can reasonably assume that a cat, for instance, will be around for about 15 years, like it or not. The copy machine in the church office is built to run about eight years, or 10 million copies. A facelift, I learned this week, will last about six to 10 years, and a multivitamin, three. The average dollar bill only stays in circulation for about 18 months, and painted lines on the road will last for about three to four months. And a professional basketball player can expect that his $200 pair of Nikes will last for about two weeks. Though I do know that most NBA players wear a brand new pair of shoes for every single game. Everything has a life expectancy. A, number, a limited number of minutes and days and weeks and years. Two weeks ago, I mentioned the old adage that there are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. And two weeks ago, I talked about taxes, so today, I guess it's time for the alternative. (laughs) The days of our life are 70 years, or perhaps 80, if we're strong, the psalmist tells us. They're soon gone, and we fly away. We do our best to avoid that limitation. Ponce de Leon stumbled into Florida, but what he was really looking for was the fountain of youth. More recently, American inventor Ray Kurzweil has become convinced that aging is merely a technological challenge to be overcome and that there's no reason human life expectancy shouldn't be 200 years or more. According to Kurzweil, nanorobots will one day replace the imperfectly operating human digestive tract. These are miniature machines that will transport precisely the right amount of precisely the right substance to to precisely those tissues or organs where they're needed. At this point, Kurzweil says, it's just a matter of sticking around until the technology is perfected. If you can live long enough, he says, you can live forever. And he's his own guinea pig. He swallows 250 pills a day, things like grapeseed extract, milk thistle, and ginkgo, and he washes those all down with 10 glasses of alkaline water and 10 cups of green tea. Once a week, Kurzweil goes to a clinic for an acupuncture treatment and an IV infusion of six different rejuvenating fluids. But whether we live three score or 10 or 200 years, the truth is our lives will end. Only God is eternal. And acknowledging that does not diminish the quality of human existence. In fact, it does just the opposite. If we assume that we're going to live forever, that we have all the time in the world, then we tend to take for granted the people around us and the time we've been given as a precious, undeserved gift. 
But when we acknowledge our limits, when we measure our human frailty against God's eternity, we gain the wisdom to live well every single moment of our lives. Napoleon Bonaparte sent a young aide out on a mission during a military crusade and said to him, Go, sir, gallop, and do not forget that the world was made in six days. You can ask me for anything you like except time. Only God can give time. Psalm 90 recognizes that. This is one of the psalms attributed to Moses, and scholars speculate that the setting is Mount Nebo, the mountain at the edge of the wilderness. Moses and the tribes of Israel are standing on Mount Nebo, looking down onto the promised land, which they had just seen for the first time. Moses has come to the end of his life and will never enter this place toward which he had traveled for 40 years. He stands there drinking in the horizon before him, realizing that his life dream will be fulfilled by others, but, but, but not by himself. And yet, he makes this profound statement of faith. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What a benediction. What a grand summation of everything that ultimately matters. With 40 years behind them, with the promise stretched out before them from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. When the stock market flutters, when wars erupt, when the storm hits or the parent dies or the child leaves, when the borders are no longer limitless, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Anne Lamott tells about learning that lesson when her best friend Pammy was dying from cancer. Lamont was depressed and sad and angry, so she sought out Pammy's physician, who also happened to be one of her close personal friends. He said, watch her carefully right now, Anne, because she's teaching you how to live. Lamont says, I remind myself of this when I cannot get any work done. To live as if I'm dying because the truth is we're all terminal on this bus. To live as if we're dying gives us a chance to experience real presence. So instead of staring miserably at the computer screen, trying to will my way into having a breakthrough, I say to myself, okay, hmm, let's see. Dying tomorrow, what should I do or say today? In seminary, I had to read a book for a class that was both funny and frightening all at the same time. The reason I still remember this book is because it wasn't a textbook on exegesis or theology or church history like many of the other books that I was assigned. It was a novel called 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It's a story of a, of a fictional small town in South America. Through an odd series of events, the people in the town contract a plague that causes them to lose their ability to remember. They all become stricken with amnesia. This leads to an amusing series of events in which 
people forget the names of farming equipment that they've used every day of their lives. They forget where they placed tools from the day before. They forget the names of their family and friends. So in desperation, they begin to make signs and hang the signs on everything. Like on a cow saying, this is a cow. This animal needs to be milked every day. Don't forget. They put a sign outside the town saying, God exists. Just so they don't forget. But while some of it's funny, the book also is terrifying. It's frightening to think of an entire town suffering with amnesia. It makes the reader realize the sobering fact that we live each day on the basis of memories of our previous days. Wipe those memories out and the world is chaotic and a horrific place. Our lives, our faith, our hope are built on these type of memories too. Look back and think back on the biblical narratives that are the foundations for who we are and what we believe. Israel was a people built on memory. There's no doubt that the stories we read in the first chapters of the Bible in Genesis had been told around the campfire for thousands and thousands of years before they were ever written down. They still have the feel of oral narrative. When you tell a story, you're telling it again and again, and you only tell that which is most important. That's what makes the stories. All the books of the Bible, including our psalm this morning, have this quality too. We remember what's most important. But each oral narrative was eventually written down because we did not want to forget the most important things. We as individuals and families do the same thing with our stories, whether they're stories from our childhood or family histories or simply events that happened last week. The church does the same thing, whether it's the big C church or little C churches. We do it too. We're going to do it following this sermon today when we read the names of the saints of this church who joined the church triumphant this year. We can also simply walk the halls of our beautiful building to see the names of these saints and others of First Presbyterian Church written on plaques and doors and walls and pictures. Names of women and men like Effie and Bill Rule. Names like Miss Sharon and Miss Rachel. Names like Samuel Carrick and Bill Lumsden and Elizabeth High School Smith. The list goes on and on. At the heart of our faith as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, is a commitment to live our lives well, to live our lives on the basis of the teachings and the truth we believe Jesus represents. And at the very core of that truth is the notion that the very highest, holiest purpose of life is to give it away in love. That true greatness, as Jesus defines it, comes from serving others. A great man or a great woman, no matter what kind of work you do, is one who knows that and lives that. A great church is a congregation of disciples who together live out that truth in their common service to the world. As you all, I know, are aware, it's stewardship season. And I think it's appropriate that today, All Saints Day, 
is Dedication Sunday, the day when we offer our pledges of resources and time and talents back to God. And what I hope you hear this morning is the message that today and this season of the church is not about raising money. Every year I remember what someone suggested a long time ago, namely that if all that is important is us raising money, we ought to save ourselves a lot of time and trouble and just raffle off an SUV. Instead, this is about stewardship, about how you and I live our lives and what definition of real life is going to guide us. A few years ago, a research study at UC Berkeley showed new evidence that weekly attendance at religious services is associated with increased survival and boosted immune systems, a longer, healthier life. According to the study, people who attend religious services less than once a week or never had a 21% greater overall risk of dying as well as a 21% greater risk of dying from circulatory diseases and a 66% greater risk of dying from respiratory diseases and a 99% greater risk of dying from digestive diseases. I thought that might make a great approach to the stewardship campaign. (laughs) Instead of our theme of filled with all the fullness of God, how about come to church and live longer or give a lot of money and you'll live a really, really, really long time. One stewardship chairperson asked several years ago whether we could just resurrect the idea of indulgences, that money that's given to the church that supposedly reduces your time in purgatory. Couldn't you just say that if they raise their pledges, you'll get them into heaven? We can't do that. No one can make that promise. What I can promise is what Jesus promised, that giving will save your life. That serving others will make you a success by the only measure that ultimately matters. One more story, and I'm going to close with it. Tom Gillespie was the head pastor of Burlingame Presbyterian Church just outside San Francisco before he became the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. He was the president when I started at the seminary, and I still remember one of the sermons that he preached during one of our Wednesday chapel services. In it, he told the story about having gone to visit a couple in his congregation. Their teenage son had been killed a few months earlier in a tragic car accident. When Dr. Gillespie sat down in their living room and talked with them, they said they were troubled. The stewardship drive had come and gone, and they had heard nothing from the church. Dr. Gillespie explained that out of consideration, they had chosen not to send mailings to the two of them and to take them off the phone call list. They didn't want to bother them or ask them for anything during their grief. The father turned to Dr. Gillespie and said, my son was forever coming to me asking for something. He wanted $20 to go to the movies with his friends. Or he wanted to borrow the car, or he wanted permission to go on a ski trip, or to use my golf clubs, or whatever. Sometimes I didn't give it to him. Sometimes I would. But he was always asking for something. Now he's gone. And I'd give anything to have my son ask me for anything again. 
Then he looked at Dr. Gillespie in the eye and said, when my church asks me for something, I know it's alive. When the church asks us for something, we know it's alive. Amen. Let us now remember those saints that have gone before us. I invite you to pull out your order of worship, and together we will read the Litany for All Saints Day, followed by the Necrology, which is on your bulletin insert. It lists those that have died over the past year, as well as the church militant, which are those that have joined the church in baptism. Following each corporate response in the Litany, There will be a pause and you will hear bells ringing. Notice how they sound. You will notice that our praise and thanksgiving are highlighted by major chords, those that sound good to the ear. But then you will also hear chords or dissonant bells that lift up the pain of death. So I invite you to listen closely. Let us now join together in our litany. Almighty God, before whom stand the living and the dead, we give thanks for all the saints through whom you have blessed our pilgrimage, who have reflected the light of Christ onto our path, and who have planted seeds of faithfulness that we have graciously seen blossom, though they did not. Thanks be to you, O God. For the dear friends and the beloved of our homes, whose faces we see no more, but whose love is ever with us. For mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, children, dear friends and beloved people who are no longer with us, but whose baptisms are now complete. We lift Lift up up thankful thankful hearts, hearts, O God. God. But it is painful to see so much death in this world. It feels like violence, chaos, and war dominate and are unending. We lift up your people around this world, especially in Ukraine, Israel, Palestine, South Sudan, and other places where so much life has been taken. We cry out, how long, O God? Hear our pleas to preserve life and lead us in the ways of peace. Hear our cries of pain and lament, O God. We cry out for our nation where anger, fear, and hatred have rooted so deeply. Broken relationships, deep divisions, and the fear and anger that are so persistent are not of your story, O holy God. Your people long for a day when these things are of the past and death is no more. How long must we wait? Take this narrative of death and transform it. Hear our cries of pain and lament, O God. Thank you. 
for loss of what once was, the harsh end of realities that were once known, we lament. Yet for the dawning of new chapters and the new paths ahead, we give thanks and praise you for resurrection life. Hear our cries of lament, as well as our shouts of praise, O God. May the remembrance of your saints, common and uncommon, living and dead, renew us in the work of love against fear, of mercy against vengeance, of unity against division. We remember and promise, O God. May our children grow into sainthood, living lives worthy and grateful, and pursue your peace and justice in this world. Renew within us the ties that bind us to the past, present, and future of the communion of saints. Thanks. Thanks. Amen. Now let us remember those that have gone to be with God in death in the church triumphant between November 1st, 2022 and October 31st, 2023. Patricia Patty Acuff. Ely Driver. Jean Fox. Earl Hagler. Anne Hart Murian. Mary Adair Horde. Linda Manson. Julia Pulliam. Baxter Ragsdale. Charles Charlie Smith. And now we celebrate those that have joined the church militant, those whose membership in the church has commenced with baptism. Ian Ezekiel Danzo Zeke Amakwa. Matilda Cook. Madeline Sue Pitt. Hayden Walker Slane. Miller Grace Wilson. Let us now offer 
either aloud or in the stillness of our hearts, the names of the saints in our lives, dead or living, who have come and shown us the ways of Christ. Amen. Now let us respond to God's goodness by giving back a portion of that which God first gave us. Let us worship God through our tithes and offerings. <laughs> 